One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com/weightloss. That's PlushCare.com/weightloss. PlushCare.com/weightloss. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the politics show oh. podcast. The podcast ain't done to the main event. Right now, right now, a red day, a sword day. <laughs> What was that? I don't know. What was that? The ride of the Rohirrim. I didn't recognize yeah, that. I must admit. Of course, you're a fucking fan. I don't. I don't come to a Lord of the Rings fan. I just know about it. That's my. That's awkward. That's my confession. My confession. Well, I, I hate to disappoint all the people who are really pleased by my Lord of the Rings joke. But I've seen all the films one time, and haven't read the books. Although What I know was the joke. It was the. Um, looks like something's back on the menu. It was after the. Was it after the. Oh yeah. Something. Let's not rehash. No, told fucking ten episodes ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you do that. Well, you do that every episode. It's all I've got. <laughs> It's all I've got. Ed, Ed Campbell, you sly dog. How are you? <laughs> Doing very well. You're right. Doing well, you old rooster. <laughs> you old sod, no. Campbell. I'm doing very well. Thank you, you old bastard. How are you? How the devil are you? Tremendous. Thank you. Good. Ava Santina. Hello. How are you? Nothing new ever, is there? No. Never. No. Okay. Capital J journalist. No, but there's never like a you know something slick. Eva Santina, you're fired. Like <laughs> do you want that? No. You can do that. If you no. Want. You no, I obviously that. don't. Most viewed episode of all time, Eva. Eva, Eva sacked <laughs> live on the podcast. <laughs> Why we, should just, we should just do that. <laughs> we should obviously do that with our thumbnails and like titles. Right. Just lie. Yeah. Like grid out. Eva isn't like grayed out, black and white thumbnail. Red X. Eva like sad. Ed doing a laughing YouTube face. <laughs> Eva. <laughs> I, was, I was sad from the podcast. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> uh, busy week, busy old week, guys. Very busy old week. Suella Braverman being on, on her bullshit on multiple fronts. Actually, she's fighting a war on two fronts, mm -hmm. um, which you have to respect. What's the second front? Oh, yeah, you're so right. Sorry. Well, the first, I would say, 
The, fir- the first front is probably a slightly more elongated and longer front, which is against um, democratic right to, to, to protest mm-hmm. um, and just generally the civil liberties of the British people. Um, and then by extension of that, you could say it's the same front, but it's probably like slightly more specific, and that's, and that's just the rights of homeless people to not die in the cold. She's also started waging a war, war there as well. So busy, busy this week. Yeah, that, that one's really been on the, the... She really had the finger on the pulse with that one, didn't she? Yeah. That was what everyone was concerned about. <laughs> she read, read the mood of the country. Yeah. Too many tents out there. I thought uh, Torbs was, um, was great. Yeah, yeah he was, was wasn't he? Very, very good. Very moving. Mm. Very considered. A um, uh, useful contribution. Yeah. No, he, he really was, actually. Um, so she was obviously doing that shit. <laughs> Who is that for? Who's it for? Yeah. The constituent of evil bastards that... But like make up our towns and villages. Is that is that that's, that's a fake person. You know, like you, yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think you know how like sometimes you you often make a joke about like a man in a village who's like they oh want to God. take my shotgun <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's not a real person. I think I think he is. Well, okay, there's, there's a few, but there's not. But there's not enough to make a like a voting block. It's not a viable political constituency Maybe, to cater to. No. Maybe it should be. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine a scenario. So, so one one scenario that I enjoyed was imagining Sunak's camp having no idea that this was going to be leaked to the Financial Times, <laughs> and then finding out the next morning, like, what the fuck, Suella? <laughs> what is uh, that? You know, was is the constituency? So, if I know we're like sort of doing historic histori- his, history last week. Um, yeah. Rishi Sunak interviews Elon Musk. Lots of media coverage around that. AI summit, et cetera, et cetera. Setting out his legacy. Kemi Badenoch addresses ARC. Oh, yeah. That latest from the episode before, which I may or may not have suggested should have been bombed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you my remember God. That? <laughs> were you, no, you weren't here for that, were you? No, but no. I'm glad we've rehashed it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just double down. Well, I, you know, I made it ambiguous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she spoke at that, yeah, and I think she said that Stonewall had been taken over by like left-wing nutters, and that pronouns were silly, or something. So obviously mm. she secured some favourable coverage yeah. in, in the uh, right-wing press because of that. And so you're Suella, and you're sat there being like, "Man, I need to get in on this action." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> massively overcorrected. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know who's doing her political She's strategy. She's got the gays. I'll get them. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is vulnerable? Yeah. <laughs> Who needs taking that guy in Hyde Park? <laughs> fuck his tent. <laughs> Who needs taking down a peg or two? <laughs> so she just, she course corrects. Completely misread that Ricky Gervais sketch about punch. Oh no. Who was it? James, James Acaster about Ricky Gervais. About punching up. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like, just keeps punching down. Like, says, she thought James Acaster was being earnest, was like, being like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> they, they, they do need taking down a peg or two. They're too comfy. <laughs> and they're big tents. Yeah. <laughs> You open up a tent, like pull it back, and it's like a fifty-inch TV screen. <laughs> like it's like a TARDIS. Yeah. So obviously she's been doing that. Yep, she's been on that mad, mad, mad shit. And maybe there is, you know, maybe, maybe there is a world in which um, people find that politically compelling for her to say that homeless people shouldn't have tents. It's compelling, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. No, you're it's, right. it's certainly yeah, interesting. Look, it's, it's provocative. Yeah, I mean, look. It's, it's all anyone's talking about. It's certainly compelling. But that's the point. Yeah, yeah. That's the point, I think. It's just it's just names at, like out there. You know, it's just, it's being in, in the headlines. It's mm-hmm. 
taking over the news cycle. So you think that she goes to bed at night going, can't get my name out their mouths. (laughs) (laughs) You take my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Absolutely. That was the most egregious episode in social drama because we come to find out that she's not his wife. Yeah. The whole thing was bizarre. Is she not yeah. his wife? I, They've been separated for like seven years. But was it like open relationship or like? Seemingly, did she not say quite recently? This is a, for podcast listeners who don't know. This is Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, and Jada Pinkett Smith says that they've been like living separate lives since like twenty sixteen. Yeah, which is so what was he? What was he doing? If that's the case, then she must have been like criminally embarrassed. Yeah, by by those events. I still like text all of her side men. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to him. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fucking cringe. Anyway, so pick me up at nine, Zaddy. <laughs> In the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. Did you say Zaddy? Yeah. <laughs> That's what was that thing that was like? Who is Lil Gronk and why is he rising up? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the most terminally online. Yeah. Can you believe Lil Gronk is rising up? It was like some like <sighs> who was university the... gymnastics person. Who's TikTok famous? <laughs> we are so offline, aren't we? We're just not not involved in this. Um, right, so that's the one front she's been waging war on. You'd have to say successfully. You'd have to say successfully. Successful in that she's famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, oh no, famous, I, no, sorry, stupid thing. Famous, fucking like, <laughs> like Anna Delvey or something. Like, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. <laughs> but no, but nonetheless, um, not like it was never going to happen. No, it's not, do you know what I mean? Like the they, were, they were never going to take the tents away, surely. They might. Surely, I, I don't know. She might. I, I don't know. That I, would just be mental. Well, I I think the um, it's sort of like she she thought the Nos canisters mm. had been so successful. Thank God, go for the next. Yeah, thank God they struck that down. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good because we were all addicted to Nos. And never still not. am, buddy. <laughs> and never not. <laughs> Used so, my last. Uh, it was yesterday, wasn't it? I said, t- "Turn to you." I said, "You got nine hours left to possess nos." <laughs> Ran home. Yeah. <laughs> Consumed all, you, all the nitrous oxide I had. But you don't have those little ones. You had no. like that big hospital grade. <laughs> Just injecting it straight into yeah, the lungs. Yeah. Yeah. My blood is so thin at the moment. <laughs> no balloons. It got no. to eleven fifty-eight. You just gave dome. up on the balloons. Yeah, just yeah. straight out the pipe. <laughs> Inflating them lungs. Yeah. Thank God they done that. They tackled that. They, they think about bins. <laughs> for the litter yeah I mean is that an alternative to banning it in fairness bins exist already you couldn't nah but you need more bins you do need more bins you but need like, more the, bins surely the issue with the NOS being on the street isn't that the bins are full <laughs> it's that people like that's not it people like the, no, the, the, NOS, con, the NOS consumers are, are they are littering to be fair <laughs> that is a genuine that's like well, I they don't wouldn't know. use the bins if there was more you try you try and throw something away in central London it's very difficult. Because the consideration you've got to have is if you're going to get like a coffee from somewhere, then you're like, this will now be with me until I, I get home. Other than um, obviously the um, complete horror and upset caused by like the various terror attacks in the early you know start of this century, early 21st century, one of the greatest losses was the fact that we lost all of the bins on the train station platforms. Yeah. Yeah, no, you they've got plastic, bags now. You used to have a plastic bag, if, if at all. If at all, sometimes it's just a little hoop there, there, you yeah. know. I've got a thing, so outside my house, there is... Um, there's no pushback on that, but apart from the <laughs> I'm fact... I'm trying to think of it. I'm not that... <laughs> You're I'm right, that. that is the worst thing about <laughs> that. 7-7, seven, seven, terrible, no more pins. <laughs> 
um, I've got um, a water pump, like a, you know, like a... Heat pump? You a heat pump? No, 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 no. Like, um, you know what they would have pumped water from? You know, like a font situation. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And right. it's like a really great pump because it's like, this has got this whole cholera history on it. I was really excited about oh, it when cholera. I moved in. I was like, That's you know. That's so interesting. I like everyone, you know, anyone, anytime someone came over, I was like, before we go in, can I just show you the cholera pump? And it's just, it's full of people's rubbish. So that's basically what's happened. Seven seven. <laughs> Next thought. My cholera pump is ruined. Shameless. Um, Butterfly effect. <laughs> she she could wage war on that, couldn't she? Litter, but no, she's not done that. She's um. So there's the, there's the other front, the hate marches. These fucking hate marches. Well, that would go under the the protest front, no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's that, there's that front and then there's the homeless front. And, uh, well, if, if what's that approaching over the hill? Ah, oh, it's the, the consequences of her actions of being like, we must defend the cenotaph. Mm -hmm. And now, like, <clears throat> the entirety of the British far right is, is coming to London on Saturday <laughs> to defend the cenotaph. And <laughs> they've summoned the head of the Met Police to be like, we, we might have gone a step too far. <laughs> and Mark Crowley's like, no, no, you have to learn a lesson. You'll take yeah. your fucking medicine, Home Secretary. <laughs> <laughs> learning about consequences for the first time there were there were <sighs> tweets that were genuine calls to arms like oh, yeah. that were going around. they were exceptional they were like this is for your country yeah have you um have you seen any of the videos that tommy's been putting out oh are we going to mention him by name uh, oh what sorry Tomlinson. sorry steven yaxi lennon would you prefer yeah <laughs> yeah stevie if you could yeah is it a bit it's so that when he takes us to court we've referenced the correct person <laughs> right <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's put out these videos and it's the language he uses is very much, it's like England expects that every man will do his duty. It's, it's you know, if, if you are a man and you intend to defend the nation and you intend to defend, we can just play the clip. We can just, we can just put it in. I'm not, I'm not afraid to play a Tommy Robinson clip on the podcast. All right. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fucking wait, hard, yeah. do you? <laughs> will that demonetize us on YouTube? Um, possibly. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's, let's find out. Roll the clip. Just a quick one from me to explain how important our behaviour is this Saturday. We're going there. It's Armitage Day. We're going there to show respect and to make sure there is respect shown at our cenotaph. They keep saying they're not going near the cenotaph. Yeah, look what we've seen across the country. Look at the scenes we've seen. We've seen the police stand by whilst terrorists call for jihad. We know who the organisers of these marches are. They're Hamas supporting jihadists. Yeah? We cannot trust the police to do their job. To every man that's coming, it is so important that we behave with respect, that we are there, prepared to defend if we need to defend, because that's what, what men do. Prepared to defend if we need to defend, but not running down any streets, not going off any routes, just meeting where we're meeting, at the embankment, at Whitehall, Churchill statue, there'll be different places, and making sure that no one comes on our sacred day and disrespects our nation and our country in such a way. Unfortunately, we should be able to rely on the police for that. We should all be sitting at home. We shouldn't be, have to travel into London. But I just want to say, if you want to do your country a service, you've got to behave. Everyone. So please, do not let us down, don't let yourself down, and don't let our armed forces down. Just say. I look forward to seeing you all. Yeah, so that's Tommy Robinson saying, uh, if you're a man, he, uh, he's calling for everyone to keep a level, level head and behave themselves. 
when they defend the cenotaph on Saturday. <laughs> Who's going to be there? Sorry, this is really funny. Hmm? Alison Pearson's going to be there. <laughs> I think she's out of her depth. <laughs> she tweeted. She she's was coming like, with a big spear. She objected to, a lot of people have objected to, GB News wrote an online article about like, far right yobs will be defending the cenotaph on Saturday. And tell you what, the GB News audience did not like being referred to as that. <laughs> so, so, I'm going on Saturday. <laughs> so there, genuinely there was like, oh, you've really lost not read the room on this one. <laughs> I usually love GB News, but I really object to being called far right. Yeah. And then Alison Pearson quotes it saying, I'll be there with my friends. It I is, don't think it's not really for Alison Pearson. No. I think it's uh, for the... I just, yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things I'd say about that. And it's the same as the, the consequences of Suella Braverman's actions coming, coming to greet her. And it's like, if you want to relentlessly inflame um, community tensions between two groups of people, um, either explicitly with some of your... Um, on-screen talent and the subjects they talk about or implicitly in your story selection, the way you frame things and um, just generally sort of implying that sort of traditional British values are under attack, you will end up with a situation where thousands of people descend on central London to defend a statue which is not under threat mm -hmm. um, from anyone. It will take up a huge amount of police time. Like, um, t pick any issue, right? They love to say, just stop oil are um, wasting valuable police. In fact, the Met Police themselves tweeted, I think it was yesterday, being like, 98 charges and 200 arrests. Every time we do this, it, it detracts from community policing. And it was about Just Stop Oil. It's like, okay, there will be several hundred police officers in, in on Parliament Square on Saturday. They will kettle uh, this lot once. Usually, it'll be about one or two o'clock when the beer, the tinnies they've been drinking since 8 a.m. has kicked in. Um, they'll then all start running around and like, fake charging the police lines at which point the police will then kettle them and they'll keep them there for several hours until they've sobered up they all need to piss and they just want to go home and then they'll leave if what happens last time when they did their Churchill defence when they mounted a successful defence of the Churchill statue because it was already enclosed in like a in like a big steel box so he was very safe um, but <laughs> they provided reinforcement what then happens is they then get jumped by all of the kids in London as they like return to like Waterloo and the other train stations um, and they get filled in, which again takes more police time. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why Mark Rowley's going to 10 Downing Street. Maybe he's going there to be like, can you stop yeah. <laughs> feeding these fucking idiots uh -huh. these lines that their country is under attack? Because we have to scrape them off the floor when they're done. Yeah. It seems, believe it or not, I don't think they've thought this through. No. Um... But then it makes for an exciting, um, exciting potential turn of events next week in which Rishi Sunak has to turn around to Suella and say, like, that was a bit much, going to have to let you go. And then she launches a leadership bid. I, I think... And yeah. then you, it keeps rolling. We keep getting nothing done in politics, <laughs> but that at least there's a bit of something to watch. Of course, he's getting so much done at the moment. And there's um, so much time to do so I much. Think uh, I'll, I'll laughing you... gas. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. And we're also opening... Except uh, release as well. Yeah. We're drilling new, for, for new oil, you know, new oil licenses, mm. if you paid attention. Yeah, new oil and gas in the North Sea. Yeah. Fucking schmuck. Do you know what really bothered me about that, actually, just, just to go on a tangent? Yeah. Um, it didn't need... Okay, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but why would you need a law if you can already do that? So why can't the Energy Secretary just ring up, say, I don't know, Byron, who runs... who's got a big drill, and say... Can you drill in the North Sea for us and open up a new, you know, oil extraction mm -hmm. 
situation. Why do you need a new law for that? The law would be no new oil and gas licenses rather than a law to continue doing what they're already doing. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it, it didn't need to be mentioned. So what I'm saying is it's part of that fabrication where they're announcing things that don't actually need to be announced. Someone made the point they didn't aim, there was nothing in the King's speech about banning seven bins. I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> well, do you know what? You'd be fucking lucky to find seven bins in central, <laughs> in central London. Central, I tell seven, you. Seven, seven. seven. Yeah. <laughs> There's no seven, seven. That's what it was about. We're banning seven, that's, seven That's bins. what it was about. Yeah. Seven, seven. Oh, that's what they're referring to. Someone massively <laughs> misheard a conversation. Do you, do you know what? what? You know what you never saw with these football hooligans? When they were taking our bins away, mm. where <laughs> were they? they? Not, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't they defend us They're then? taking away your right to be without litter. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Is there like some kind of special conch you have to sound to get to get these lads to come out and defend something because they're very selective aren't they <laughs> where were they <laughs> where were they on what other things could they have defended what else have they taken away um what are the succulent british liberties have uh, plastic straws yeah yeah where the hell were where they where the hell were they but they yeah. love i bet they, they hate everyone hates paper straws yeah but you know what's great it's a pasta straw that's the other thing about the British far right as well. They hate turtles. They do. Do they? Mm. Why? Because they just turn up anywhere. Or? I didn't think it through that far. It was the plastic, oh, right. plastic straw thing. Yeah. It was. It was a gag about you would expect me to say they hate. Oh, uh, oh yeah, minority. nice, nice. Yeah, what else? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was so <laughs> uh, I think Alison Pearson's out of her depth. Oh, look, yeah, Sean has sure just been there. Cool. I, I would really recommend she does not go. Yeah. Like, really recommend she does not go. Sorry, Sean is, being, Sean is telling me to stop banging the table. Yeah. Oh, fair. Good. Yeah, that's right. Um, last time I was there uh, uh, for the Churchill defence thing. Um, that's before you were here. Yeah, I was just like, no, sorry. When I was protesting against <laughs> against the, the, the defacing of the Churchill statue, um, like the, uh, they attack they attack reporters. Um, I watched a photographer have his nose broken, like literally in front of me. Uh, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, sorry. When I say it was in front of me, it was just on bang, just on on. Give me back our bins. <laughs> <laughs> you know that guy who stands outside Westminster. I think he's an environmental protester. He is, you know, plastic. He, yeah. Yeah. That's Ollie, but about bins. Every day. And yeah, they don't like, um, they don't like journalists. They really don't they like don't. journalists. And I think if uh, Alison Pearson thinks that she can just go down there and be like, find common cause um, with these people, she's going to be sorely mistaken. Thinking kumbaya. Mm, that's not what it's like. Be like the mix of people who were in at the um, January the sixth capital invasion. You had like <sighs> you had like semi paramilitaries with like hog ties looking to lynch people, and then yeah. you had like people who stumbled in being like, "I think we should have lower taxes." Yeah, it's that. It's the second half, and yeah. it's not even that. To be honest <laughs> with you, it, the, I think it would be obviously a slightly different different crowd. During for the Churchill one, it was mid COVID, and so it was it was basically. It was the it was the divorced dads who's um, hadn't been able to go to a football match for six months, and so it was like, this is, this is it, and it was actually they were, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like um, football firms or like crowds when they try and like uh, chase each other and like corral each other around town and the whistling they do mm -hmm. and like to communicate to each other. It was exactly like that. It was like you know whistling from one side of Parliament Square, then they all charge over there, really? yeah, and then like throw traffic cones at the cops. I think and I then, remember this actually. Were you there? No, probably. 
They, I th- yeah, of course you are. Sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In defending Churchill since day dot. That's how you guys, that's how you guys met. That's how we met at the demo. I'm trying to think of what protest I was at when I was with um, a colleague and I just remember this man coming up and screaming in my face you're never gonna cover this <laughs> it's like, I'm here mm. I'm not gonna cover it if you keep spitting in my face Barry <sighs> yeah there's a lot of that I, so, I quite enjoy it actually but, uh, I enjoy the tussle gives me meaning gives me purpose it's a real it's actually it's quite it's it's a bit on the nose but it's a real Words have consequences moment. Mm. The audience, you will see on Saturday um, that the people uh, in attendance are not very nice. Um, They have very ugly political beliefs. And if people like Suella Braverman spend their days speaking without nuance and with hate and uh, resentment and employ the politics of division, there are real world consequences. There are real world consequences. Yeah, no, you bang on. Mm. I think it's interesting that she's made. She seems to think talking about the describing the Palestine marches as a hate march, etc., and the planning to ban tents for homeless people. She seems to think that British people hate nothing more than people sleeping on the streets and Palestinian children. Mm. That's that's the bet she's making. Is that people? Well, even within the Conservative Party. If she's making this stand as like a leadership bid as a platform for like the next hustings, mm. whatever that is, probably in a year's time, being like, remember when I did that had that great home, that great idea to make homeless people colder and die? It's sort of approaching incitement to violence, isn't it? To be honest with you, yeah. I mean, even for I think we talked about this last time. Even from a you know a, a polling the mood standpoint, you know when those two really wealthy students burnt a fifty pound note in front oh, yeah. of a homeless person, and everyone got you know the whole the whole of the country were upset about it. That mm. should have been a good a good focus group for you. That going after the homeless, not it, not smart. Also, very interesting that she went after the the what around four thousand veterans who sleep homeless on Armistice Week. I'm not saying. Yeah. I'm not saying that was disrespectful. Mm. Are you implying that but where's being... your fucking popping? <laughs> Are you implying they're being disingenuous about remembrance? Uh, no. Am oh, I, I am. being disingenuous? No, I am. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm implying that they're being disingenuous. Ah. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, of course they are. Um, it's just... No. It, this is the extraordinary thing about all of this <coughs> is that at no point have um, the protesters said that they would go near the cenotaph. Then after all this started to kick off, they said they explicitly wouldn't go anywhere near it. Um, they said the time of their march would start later so that it didn't conflict with um, a minute's silence. They, like the whole thing is confected, it's not real. And yet the conservative, the, the, the prime minister, no less, um, Suella Braverman, and then all of the right-wing papers that are in, in hock to them are like, well, they'd better not touch the cenotaph. And it's like, but you're setting them up, you're setting up so that even if one fucking fringe lunatic gets to the cenotaph, <laughs> lays out 2,000 <laughs> <laughs> overweight cenotaph football cenotaph defenders, the upset of the century, the under, complete underdog story, um, and, they de- and they deface the cenotaph. It's like, well, we told you so. Yeah. We told you they would do this. 
mm. despite the fact that no one's no no one's really planning, at least in a meaningful way, to do so. And as a result, you've then mobilised all of these people who are going to go and defend the thing when it's not really under threat. It also made the people marching incredibly vulnerable mm. because it's not like the they will be trying their utmost to get at the protesters after the... Oh, yeah, they're going to be up there looking for a fight, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and if you say you're a, a well-meaning person who just wants... You, you've been horrified by the images everyone's been seeing in Gaza, mm. and that's inspired you to, to like, protest, and you're just a, a, a normal person there. You're, a, you're vulnerable yeah. to, to, these, to these people. Because of that weird us and them narrative, right? As it, the, the, this is the, the self-obsession that w amongst some of these um, uh, football hooligans grinds like grates on me to, to uh, I can't even tell you. Like the, the idea that no one apart from them had people in their family who fought in the army or, you know, fought during World War II. I mean, how self-obsessed can you be? You know, the way that they, <clears throat> they talk about it, like my great-grandfather did not die in 1914 for this. It's like, yeah, pal, there was like, you know, a lot of people died during that and there was mm -hmm. conscription, you know, in the war after that. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really frustrating. I was looking at a lot of the right-wing commentary. They were all professing who in their family had fought in the army. All right. <laughs> Bring me someone in the last decade, hun. Yeah. I'll fight you on the beaches. <laughs> An open invitation. Yeah. <laughs> Meet me in the marketplace of fists. Did Nicholas Holmes not... He's... He's Churchill's grandson. I know he's pro the march, though. That's he what I was going to say about it. They're really, really concerned about that Winston Churchill statue. And then Nicholas Soames, who I'm sorry, is actually sharing blood with the guy, mm. is like, well, I think the march should go ahead. You know, Churchill tradition, free speech, and this is fantastic. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. He didn't mean it like that. <laughs> he's no, really no, old. No. <laughs> he's senile. Yeah. <laughs> he's a fucking Nepo baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anything more to say on this, guys? Should we move on? Yeah. Oh, no. wait, should we maybe talk a little bit about the... the? I just wanted to talk about the Sadiq Khan thing because there was a lot of bubbling away about why on earth hasn't Sadiq Khan shut this down? There is, um, you know, the Public Order Act means that Sir Mark, Raleigh, Sir Mark Rowley needs to go to the Home Secretary and say, we can't police this properly, shut it down. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with Sadiq Khan. But it's amazing how it always comes back. To him, you know. Oh, is it the Home Secretary that does the the section section forty? Well, no, it's the it, it's the police. So okay. they need to go and ask permission. Right. To, so, so they, they can't they do it say, without political consent. Basically. Yeah. So right. they need to they need to take that to, you know, under the public order. We we can't police this properly. This is a danger to the public. Ban it. Um, but everyone's banding it about. No one wants the responsibility of it. It's like hot potato, you know. Yeah, um, it's just. Actions, consequences, isn't it? That'll do. Can we quickly touch on how much culpability Sunak has for, okay. for keeping Braverman in his cabinet. Because he has to, doesn't he? Does he? I think he would. Like, um, I think his, the Conservative Party politics mean that if she wasn't, if she wasn't in the cabinet, then he'd basically be attacked by the right of the party. She, but, but does this not speak to? He's a much more right wing figure than. He appears to be. Mm. He, he, he could have her in this cabinet because he agrees with all her policies. And he, she can be the public face of his attack dog, yeah. Yeah, I think it would almost be farcical to suggest that if she left the cabinet and then was just like rallying the backbenchers, the party would be any more out of control than it already is. I mean, you've got Lee Anderson on GB News saying some of the most insane things mm. you've ever Dexter heard. Chairman of the Conservative Party. Yeah, you've got Esther McVeigh making up that apparently a painting is 
that was yeah, a 17th century <laughs> painting was about the suffragettes yep. and therefore it's the fall of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got so many MPs that are so out of line yeah. <laughs> that, you know, one more. Actually, maybe, you know, you'd need a really effective organiser to try and like, you know, homogenise all of the grievances mm-hmm. that the, the current incumbent and members of parliament have to try and actually, you know, create a proper rebellion. But at the moment, it's just like like children sitting on the green benches <laughs> screaming, I don't like this, but I don't know why. Uh-huh. Yeah, he never he never walks back her comments, does he? No. He doesn't say I refuse. He doesn't sack her. He's yeah. still home secretary. Yeah, the stuff she said about uh, grooming gangs and Pakistani men. And then, I mean, you could literally, it's, just a, it's like a checklist, isn't uh-huh. it? Any of the shit she said. Or anything that people in the cabinet have said. Or just all the all vulnerable vulnerable people have been attacked verbally in policy by the Conservative government. Even I tell you what, even just as a um, you know, if you wanted to be more hard nosed, you wanted to be more conservative about it, you could say like, yeah, okay, um, we don't like her hurty words, but you know, we'll let that slide, and we'll actually just say we've made stopping the small boats a matter of national priority, and you've absolutely failed to stop that. You're banning laughing gas. Like <laughs> fucking straighten yourself out. Yeah, these the asylum seekers, once they get off the beaches at Dover, they can't even have a slight reprieve and have a bit of NOS. <laughs> you know, that's why they're coming. <laughs> fucking balloon, lads, shit yourself that's, up. That's why they're coming over. It's, it's for the massive um, NOS market that exists in the UK. Well, well, they give that to you. You know, when you get on the Bibby Stockholm, <laughs> they actually hand you a couple of balloons. That's <laughs> where the Legionnaires came from. Um, is Suella Braverman to Rishi Sunak what. Nigel Farage was to Boris Johnson during the 2019 election. What do you mean? So Nigel Farage and the Brexit party Mm. were, we're going to support Boris Johnson to get Brexit done, but we're going to spew some of the maddest rhetoric you've ever heard. Mm. Boris Johnson never had to come out and correct Farage or never had to, you know, um, or even agree with it. He just capitalized on that fervor that whipping up of hatred and he won the election. Is Suella Braverman doing that for Rishi Sunak? I suppose, I suppose the difference is there's no upside for Sunak. As in Sunak's not going to reap any benefits from this. But he might because the, the, in like some galaxy brain thinking, you might go, okay, she's going to get people so upset and <laughs> so riled up. They're going to vote conservative. It's, it's, a, it's a war of attrition. Yeah. Like, what were they saying? Yeah. About the, the demon... Trans people selling NOS to my XL bully child. Yeah, I don't know, but we're all living in the baby Stockholm if, if Keir Starmer's prime I minister. I get my own boat. Is that what happens? <laughs> I'm the king of Rwanda. Is that what I want? I used to have quite a lucrative sideline selling NOS. Did you? Yeah. Is that something we're just going to put in there? It, I'm sure it's fine. I don't think it was illegal at the time. No, but you were, but you, <laughs> I quite like that you would be pretending that that was for like, you know, recreational purposes and actually you were like a seller to kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touring the kitchens. How no. Much, um, what, what did you pick? Well, how much did you... It was actually a very lu- very lucrative sideline. Um, uh, it was two for one, three for a double. Two Do you mean like canisters one. or like balloons? Two quid for a balloon. Right. Three quid right. for a balloon with two canisters. Say that again. How much? Two quid. Two quid for one. Yeah. Three quid for a double. For two. That's cheap, that. That's really cheap. If you were going down yeah, to... Yeah, but it was the early tens. What was, what's the last decade called? Tennies. 
The tennies. <laughs> As I've just christened it there. The I don't know. The teenies? Teens. The teens. How much are you buying a canister for? Um, what is it in clubs? Well, you buy them in bulk. No, 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 no. So I was promoting for it at clubs. So what you do right. is you throw a party. You get like, I don't know, 50 people to come. Mm-hmm. You'd sell them all a ticket to your nightclub event. Mm-hmm. So that would be five, five pound a ticket. Yeah. Then during the prees, you'd go around and sell them balloons. All right, and how much is your NOS? What's your margins here? So On the NOS, got... um, I don't I can't remember how much I bought it for. You buy it in bulk, let's say 50p a canister, less than. Is it really? Less than, probably. And then what, so balloons, nominal fee, right? Yeah, fucking penny. But so, yeah, so, I mean, that, you're cashing in every single time, right? You're a ton of money. Yeah. yeah. Are you doing this? Why are you not the NOS empire? <laughs> <laughs> because fucking Rishi Sunak <laughs> has closed out my business, yeah, so. Yeah. Who do you think fed into the inquiry? <laughs> you guys are going to stop this. This is insane. <laughs> so you know, like the, the, the Sacklers who did like the opioid crisis. It was the Dugmores. <laughs> that did the NOS crisis. The hippie crack crisis. Hippie <laughs> crack kingpin. They're going to have to like take your name off the museums that you sponsor. Um, <laughs> Me and Raheem Sterling. <laughs> I did have a date once when I came back and I got led back to my my flat and like there were two guys who were always outside my flat like but like not in like a not for me like you know they just gathered there I guess or whatever and they're always selling balloons and um, the guy was like when I turned back up the guy was like oh all well, right Ava do you want a balloon and I like had to turn to the date being like I don't do balloons <laughs> <laughs> out the front of my flat all the time <laughs> with these two men I just need to make that really clear I once I once like, sat in your Bishop's Park in like Fulham area I don't it's but... lovely it's a lovely park on the river I was sitting there on a nice sunny day nice Sunday afternoon just having a chat with a friend on the bench next to us were two, two guys out their faces speaker the loudest is like loudest speaker the like, loudest music you've ever heard <laughs> just like just nothing but techno just nailing balloon after balloon after balloon what time of day what time of day 3pm they've like blown their eardrums Sunday so they can't afternoon. hear it like they, they can't have had a coherent thought in like two hours that was my customer base yeah just this guy oh, yeah. it was you sorry that was like, yeah, so, that's how we met that's, like, how, that's how we met so you got a job uh-huh. in the interest of balance my good friend's girlfriend works in A&E and she says that she sees like a couple of people who are like insanely fucked up from, from NOS and then you delve into this a little bit more and they'll be doing like 40 balloons a day <laughs> like why are you doing that <laughs> why probably when the guy's sitting on the bench can, well, that might like, have been one of our customers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a bit pathetic, that, isn't it? What, doing 40 a 40, day? 40 balloons a day. Well, who has the time? Like, just get a fucking 10 bag. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get serious about it. What, uh-huh. you think by, like, the 10th balloon, they go, oh, God, we should have really taken that three for 10 deal rather than, like, <laughs> the, we, kept, we kept doing the three pound doubles or whatever. No, <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, fucking buy a bag of weed. Like, what are you doing? Fucking banging balloons all day. Yeah. If you take 40 balloons a day, I think you, you can quite seriously damage, like, your nerve endings. Yeah, of course you can. But if you do 40 of anything a day, you do serious damage. How about press ups, my guy? <laughs> <laughs> if you took forty, you're you're hammering like forty grams of protein before nine thirty. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but that's like a reasonable amount of protein to eat. If I had four thousand grams, macros head over yeah. here. Uh, four thousand you know, grams would be. How much protein you had today, bro? I actually don't know. 
Too, so much you don't know what it is I actually can tell you because yeah, I can watch you show protein me, intake can you show me your macro tracker I, don't, I haven't filled it I actually don't really use it too bit often you had a 20, 20 gram Arla yogurt this morning yeah I don't think it was a 25er it was no it a wasn't 20 a 20, 20 did you have in your meal deal a protein drink? I didn't meal deal I you didn't um, chicken pesto pasta about, oh yeah you did yeah. I would say I had about 170 grams of chicken in my lunch how much of that is protein my guy of chicken quick math uh, I, I actually don't know. Yeah, don't not know a like... lot because he only uses the feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cheap. Yeah, I, buy, I buy it from a guy down in the docks. Should we call that 30? Should we call that 30 grams of protein? It's more than that. Um, 50? I don't know. 50? Let's call it 50. Yeah. Square 50, okay. So you're, you're, you're at 75 already. Yeah. And dinner will be? I don't know, actually. But it'll have some fucking protein um, in it, you I'm best going, believe. I went to my girlfriend, so I'll see. Protein shake? No, I don't have protein shakes. That's that is a lie. <laughs> Sorry, in a meal deal, I do in a meal deal. Sorry, that is that is a, that was a lie. I don't own, I don't make my own protein. Shake. It's also oh, yeah. that it's kind of. <laughs> I find this fundamentally embarrassing because I'm not an enormous bodybuilder. <laughs> if, if, if it was fundamentally embarrassing to look like I do and talk about protein content, how did we get here? I don't know, but what we should do in the edit is inflate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember oh, no, when we, we did that podcast with Harry? <laughs> he just looked <laughs> massive because of the angle. We should. What we should have done is cut away some massive bodybuilder sitting with his head out of shot. Then it's <laughs> <laughs> <is> my voice. <laughs> um, yeah, nerve, nerve damage, nerve ending damage from tuning balloons. Mm -hmm. Vitamin B twelve deficiency. Really? I believe so. What if you're What if you're supplementing? Oh, then it's fine. <laughs> and I think the I think the other major risk is you, if you if you bang like a I don't know a fucking huge one, you can cut off the oxygen supply and that will brain damage. Mm -hmm. There but is a risk extreme. of that, isn't there? There is a it's risk bad. of it. Yeah, it is. There is risks. The hippie crack. That's why it's called hippie crack. Yeah, because of, the, because of the risks associated. But the biggest it's risk as of bad it, as crack. I think that's because they were trying to find something to fucking do Raheem Sterling over. No, the biggest risk of it was the litter that was left on our parks, because children were picking them up, and then you know they got on the nos, you know, <laughs> from an empty canister. Yeah, so like all around southeast London, Ollie's left like little notes, being like, "Enjoy this little leftover can." Uh, that's twenty first century parenting. You know, before it'd be like they dab like a bit of whiskey on your gums or like put it in your bottle. Nowadays, it's like have a fucking balloon and uh -huh. shut up. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, like every Halloween, it's like be careful of the evil people giving out pingers to your children as sweets. <laughs> Someone giving it, have this balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> want, this is actually, it's like not helium. It's just not. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's the Politics Show podcast. Ava, uh, at this very desk, not four hours ago, you were joined by magic socialist grandpa himself. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Here's my conversation with Jeremy Corbyn. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? Very well, thank you. And lovely to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in. Um, well, let, let's start. Let's speak broadly to start with. Let's talk about your position. So you're calling for a ceasefire, yes. which is at odds with what the parliamentary party, the Labour parliamentary party are calling for. They'd like a humanitarian pause. Can you talk to me a little bit about that distinction? I'm not quite sure what they mean by humanitarian pause. Uh, when Netanyahu's asked about it, he talks about a humanitarian pause for an hour, uh, and no more than that. Um, others talk about something much longer, and indeed the words first came from the compromise uh, Security Council motion that Brazil put forward. Brazil put forward one calling for a ceasefire. That was objected to by many others. This is a couple of weeks ago. And... Um, the compromise was they called for humanitarian pause without being specific, but that was too much for Israel and the United States. So they, the United States vetoed it and it, that didn't happen. I think what they're talking about is something quite short term, but that means then that uh, it's humanitarian pause for letting some aid in, possibly some hostages out, one hopes so, and then resume the bombing. Well, that's just not good enough. And uh, what we have to do is stop the bombing. 10,000 people have died, 4,000 children included in that. And a um, ceasefire has to mean what it says, which is a ceasefire agreed by both sides. Now, those that are making the call for it clearly have some means of communication, probably via Egypt with Hamas. So there would be a, a ceasefire, and you can then start some kind of negotiations on what's happening for the future. But crucially, you can get aid in there. Look, I'm getting calls from people in Gaza who are starving. They have no medicine. There are doctors trying to perform operations without anesthetic. There are thousands of people hanging around in Rafa hoping to get across the border because they have either foreign passports or a connection with people living outside. And I was talking to somebody yesterday whose father had managed to get to Cairo, um, but only he was allowed out. The rest of his family were told to stay. And so it's a devastating situation on a personal level that people are in. There has to be a ceasefire. And I really cannot understand what it is about the British government and indeed the leadership of the Labour Party. They're not prepared to say, look, ceasefire now in order to protect life. Well, the argument for that would be that, you know, you had a Hamas representative just last week reveling in repeating the attacks of October 7th, you know, again and again and again. Look, the attacks on October 7th were evil and wrong in every way and have to be totally condemned and Hamas have to be totally condemned for doing them. And um, I was talking, listening rather, to Dr. Mustafa Babguti this morning on BBC radio and he was making the point that he is no supporter of Hamas in any way. And I know Dr. Barghouti extremely well. And uh, 
he said, but you've got to recognize that Hamas didn't come from nowhere. It didn't exist 30 years ago. It didn't exist when the occupation began. It's a product of the occupation. But so why do you think then Bernie Sanders is reticent to, to call for a ceasefire? I can't understand why that is the case. Um, I'm disappointed. I hoped that Bernie Sanders would be one of those in the USA that would support the call for a ceasefire. He is a very powerful voice uh, in the Senate and uh, obviously within the Democratic Party, albeit he's an independent senator. I mean, it's surprising, isn't it? Because you would think that your politics would align on that. Well, I get along very well with Bernie Sanders. We know each other quite well. We've met many times and talked and so on. And um, on economic and social justice issues, on power of global corporations and environmental issues, we very much agreed. I am surprised that he's taken this line because in the past he's been quite critical of uh, the huge amount of US military support for Israel. And I hoped that that would continue into recognizing the need for a ceasefire. There are many people in the US that are demonstrating in support of a ceasefire. Look, are we just going to be spectators in the killing of thousands and thousands of more people? And in reality, what Netanyahu said yesterday is the truth behind it all. Netanyahu said, in future, we will take control of the security situation in Gaza. I read that as reoccupying Gaza. Now, they already have gone as far south as Gaza City, um, the Israeli troops. The bombing has obviously gone over the whole of the Gaza Strip. And um, what I see is a reoccupation, the not-so-gradual expulsion of the Palestinian population from Gaza, and the creation of a new Gaza Strip in the Sinai. And in 20 years' time, we'll be back here again with exactly the same thing, with Israel claiming its right to defend the Gaza Strip. I hope I'm wrong. I absolutely hope I'm wrong. But unfortunately, all the signs from the Israeli military and the Israeli government move in that direction. So a couple of things I want to pick up on there. So when you, when you talked about, you know, are we just going to be spectators on the killing that is going mm. on in the Gaza Strip? I mean, on the flip side of that, the argument against the ceasefire is that we could again be spectators to another attack by Hamas in Israel. Well... A ceasefire has to be the participation of both sides. It's not that long ago that people in um, Mossad were saying that there has to be talks between the Israeli government and Hamas. There has to be some way forward. Um, whether those are happening or not, I don't know. But quite clearly, at, on previous occasions, Operation Cast Lead and other times, there have been agreed ceasefires between Israel and Hamas, and those ceasefires have been brokered by the Egyptian government. 10,000 already dead, 1,400 Israelis already dead. Are we just going to be spectators watching these numbers go up and up and up and continue supplying weapons, arms, and everything else that Israel needs, particularly from the United States? Uh, or are we going to play some serious part in this? But I also say that what's being ignored is the situation on the West Bank. Israeli forces have increased their presence on the West Bank. Some villages have been um, driven away, the whole community driven away. And I found um, Mick Bowman last week. He's a guy from Newcastle who is very passionate about the needs of Palestinian people and walked from Newcastle to Palestine. 
except the last bit from Turkey when he had to get a plane to go to Amman and then go into the West Bank. And he was at a village in the Hebron Hills. And I said, what's going on there, Mick? He said, well, Israeli army has surrounded the village and are now systematically going house to house and evicting people and throwing them out. And this is all done because the world's media are not watching because they're only watching what's going on in Gaza. Right. And so to, co to combat that as well. So let's talk about opening that dialogue with Hamas that you were just speaking about there. You know, you've been calling for this for, what, the best part of a decade. And if you don't mind me saying, I think you've been ridiculed for it as well on quite a number of occasions. I mean, do you think there's a sense now, well, do you personally feel vindicated by it's these not, calls? It's not about me personally. It's about the undying demand of a lot of people to bring about peace and a peace with justice for the Palestinian people. I've been nine times in Israel, in the West Bank, and in Gaza. And I've been in Jordan, and I've been in Syria, and I've been in Lebanon, and I've been in Egypt. I've visited the undying misery of refugee camps in all of those countries. And uh, the Palestinians who've been 70 years in refugee camps, um, do they feel angry? Yeah, they do. They do. Do people in Gaza feel angry when they listen to their grandparents or who were driven out of their homes to make, make way for Israel? Yeah, they do. And if we don't understand that sense of hurt and also understand the feelings of a lot of people in Israel, yes, they feel a lack of security because of hostility. But there's also a lot of people in Israel that recognize this cannot go on forever. We cannot just be this tough security state continually at war with the Palestinian neighbors. They recognize there has to be a change. So you talk to people in Bethlehem, talk to people in the various human rights groups. They have a very different view. We're not hearing that view on our media. So do you think that there is, I mean, the potential to open a dialogue with Hamas? I mean, there'd be large swathes of the country here who would be, be frightened hearing that, right? You've got a prescribed terrorist organization and the, the British government are potentially going to open a conversation Listen, with Listen, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Uh, a ceasefire would be the first stage of it. There then has to be a dialogue with the people of Gaza, many of whom do not support Hamas. I've been in Gaza and I've talked to people there who absolutely not supporters of Hamas, but uh, live there um, and recognize that um, there's been huge problems for them. And so it has to be about bringing about a ceasefire. Otherwise, what happens? We've got 21st century weapons raining down on people's homes, killing them and their children. Their last moment of life for many people will be trying to shelter in a seriously damaged, dangerous building, and a bomb comes down and that's it. Mm -hmm. And that's happened to 10,000 people. It's possible that the IDF eradicate Hamas and people are allowed to cross back through the Rafa crossing and life begins again in Gaza. I mean, if that is the, the situation, who, who, who's in charge now of Gaza? Who's running? Who's running the region? Well, nobody is running Gaza at the moment. Hamas um, government, uh, I would imagine, hardly exists in the sense of chaos that's there. And the people that I've talked to have come out of Gaza just said there's complete chaos. There's been riots every time a food truck is seen. There's desperation to get medical care. Uh, we've got more water on this table than most Palestinians get for a whole day. That, for a whole day, including washing 
and everything else. Um, that's the misery of that life that they've got. So um, I assume the um, modus operandi for the future has to be more resources for the UN Relief and Works Agency, which is grossly underfunded, in order to continue providing education and health care and food supplies. Many people in Gaza rely completely on the UN for their existence and have done their entire life. I've never forgotten the first time I went to Gaza, it would have been in the 90s. I met this uh, woman in her house, she was a about the same age as my mother. And I asked her about her life. And she said, um, we came from what is now Tel Aviv um, in 1948. And we've lived here ever since. Um, I've relied on the UN all my life. I've got three sons. One, I don't know where he is. The other's in prison and the other's gone abroad. And she said, this is our life. We're under occupation. This was before the withdrawal from Gaza. Um, and life is hell. And that was her whole story of her life. When you think of the equivalent woman of that age in Britain, be proud of her children, proud of what she'd done, somewhere to live and all that. And it's just that whole life cycle of oppression coming about from the occupation. The issue there though, the UN, yes, they do incredible work and they are holding up what is left of the region, but they're not, they're not government. So if you are to move into a space where Hamas are hypothetically eradicated, I mean, truly, who well, is you have going to, build, to be... You have to build up um, a basis for it through um, development of local government and all the rest of it. But How do you do are, that, though? Is that Western intervention? I mean, what, well, what's the... Well, you have to do it with the support of the people of the place and the area. And the point that Barghouti was making this morning very powerfully was that we continually talk about Gaza as though it's somewhere different from the rest of Palestine and not united with the rest of Palestine. Um, and uh, the Israeli border activities have made it very difficult for people to travel between Gaza and the West Bank, and that was the intention behind it. And his view is that there has to be a unity of it. Now, when the last election took place, which is what almost 20 years ago now, <clears throat> there was then an election campaign in both Gaza and the West Bank. And um, I was an observer of that election, both on the West Bank and in Gaza. And the candidates were from all parties. I mean, the dominant parties were Fatah and Hamas. Hamas, one on the, one on the Gaza Strip, Fatah, one on the West Bank. Do you think it's possible to be critical of Israel without being anti-Semitic? Absolutely, absolutely. Anti-Semitism is just an evil. Uh, historically, anti-Semitism has been evil. And you read the history of the treatment of Jewish people over centuries. Expulsion from Britain in the 13th century, readmittance to Britain in the 17th century. Um, and that sort of routine anti-Semitic language that's used in literature and in history in this country and all over Europe. And then the anti-Semitism towards Russian Jews when they came to Britain in 1890s, early 1900s, and the first um, Aliens Act of, I think it was 1906, which was directed against the arrival of Russian Jews into Britain. And then, of course, the um, growth of anti-Semitism, particularly in France and Germany, and to some extent here, 
Um, and then, of course, the Nazis and the Holocaust and the six million that died. I mean, it is an appalling history. And that's where anti-Semitism leads you to. And so is it possible to be critical of Israel without being um, anti-Semitic? Yes, I think it is. Um, Isaac Deutscher, a great writer, a Jewish guy who lived in Britain, great writer, particularly of history of the Soviet Union and very deep intellectual. I didn't know him. I knew his widow, Tamara, very well. And she was, uh, like him, Jewish. She had deep misgivings about Israel and its behavior, but she was proud to be a Jewish woman who wanted to see an end to all anti-Semitism. There is a whole generation of Jewish people that are critical of Israel's behavior, but nonetheless equally proud to be Jewish people, and so they should be. The the rest of that conversation, uh, which covers more about Israel-Palestine, but also um, pertains to the King's Speech, um, New Oil and Gas Licenses in the North Sea, uh, is available on the Politics Show YouTube, so go and check it out uh, if you enjoyed that little taste just then. Otherwise, I think we'll draw proceedings to a close, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. How do you feel about that? Yeah. We'll finish it there? Yes, absolutely. An absolute pleasure, Ed Campbell. Avi Santina, thank you for your company as always. Thank you. With a dustbin of uh, of podcasts. With a dustbin? There's no bins, are there? Oh, so we're, so we're the dustbin. We're Can't the find bins. a bin, come here. <laughs> we'll take your litter and dispose of it. It's always new lucrative sideline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking nuts. took my, He's fucking my, other, <laughs> my other side hustle away. Uh, always um, lose his home. <laughs> <laughs> my NOS empire is in ruins. Um... Thank you. See you on the next one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.